What is up, everybody? This is Ryan here with The Scale-Up Show. You're not going to want to miss this guest today. I have Shruti Rao, who is the co-founder of Vendia. She's report to the current CEO of Amazon, Andy Jassy, and created the category of blockchain over at Amazon Web Services. She also advises some really cool companies like Ethereum and Ripple on blockchain and is doing something truly unique and go-to-market where within after they land a company as a customer for six or seven figures, they get 100% growth within six months. You're not going to miss this. Check it out. I went a little bit longer, but it's worth it. Trust me. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Shruti Rao, who is the co-founder and chief business offer of Vendia, which is a serverless blockchain platform. And something really cool about her is she led business development for AWS, um, also created the blockchain category AWS, led the go-to-market strategy for the serverless business, created India's first crypto mining operation, which we got a funny story about that. And then has also been an early investor, advisor, and contributor for Ethereum, Ripple, Mobility, Open Blockchain Initiative, as well as some other projects in the World Economic Forum. Truthy, welcome. Have this quite a, quite a resume you have. Welcome to be on the show. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. You make me look good. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's pretty easy. I just read the words off the page. You know, it wasn't, wasn't super hard. So I like it when people come on my show and they got a good result background. So it's pretty cool that you have that. So but before we get too big into your background, can you give us a real quick, we're going to do a real quick revenue rundown just to highlight where you're at kind of in the phase of your journey. And so can you give us like a revenue range in terms of where you're at in terms of ARR? Yeah, we we are in a few millions. Uh, very, very exciting that we will be a few more millions by the end of this year. So that's always exciting. Awesome. And then what's your primary revenue growth? Like I should say revenue go to market strategy. Yeah, uh, at Vendia, most of our customers that we have logos for, you know, including BMWs and Nestle's are um, very high mid-market, low enterprise. What we are seeing is we are getting a lot of lighthouse wins in automotive and financial services, insurance, semiconductor, travel hospitality. Some of the big airlines are our customers. The lighthouses are converting and they're becoming reference customers. And then the the mid to higher mid markets looking at it and going, if it's good enough for them, and then it's good enough for us. And then uh, we're seeing that that mass movement toward toward the platform, which is very exciting for us. That's awesome. So it's a it's a great effect. So you have the enterprise, and is that predominantly sales? Like, is it outbound? Is it content led? Or kind of what what would you say is the primary like penetration mechanism? It's 50-50. Uh, there's a lot of co- thought leadership content that we put out. It's a new category. It's not defined as a Gartner MQ right now, what we're doing. And we'll talk a little bit more about what we are doing in a, in a more than an abstract way. So there's a thought leadership content, but also the pain is out there. So when we do an outbound, which is the other 50% there, they get it. Companies are have this problem in spades. And when we explain to them, the first reaction is, really? Is it really possible? And then they get their hands on the product. And then, you know, that's when we know that we're going down the right direction. 
Okay, so that's a great segue into what is the product and what does it do exactly? Yeah, so Vendia, the company, the name comes from Venn Diagram. For us, we looked at this Venn diagram, two circles coming together and sharing what's what they need to share that's common between them with each other, but they don't have to share everything between them. It's not completely overlapping circles. So we said, hey, there are all of these companies in multiple sectors, different sectors, um, and they all have partners, partners, vendors, multi-tier vendors there. They all have some kind of data that they're producing. But they, all of that data is getting stuck in these silos. Um, and they don't share data with each other in a very easy-to-use, automated way. How, do, how does any company share data with their partner or their supplier? Emails, Excel spreadsheets, batch files. And they're very, if they are very sophisticated, maybe they have an API that kind of pings each other once a week. It's not sustainable. Companies need an easier way to share data amongst multiple parties but without giving up control. So what we've built is this trusted and secure multi-party data sharing platform. Um, Think of what APIs did for point-to-point bilateral integration. We do that for multilateral. And that's what we created. It's a partner data sharing platform. Okay, love that. So, and we'll we'll get more into this later, but love to go through some use cases on what exactly that looks like or real-world application for that. Because obviously, I mean, we're getting more integrated, more partners than ever before. Everything's turning into a platform or a marketplace. I'm exaggerating, right? But you, you get the idea. So, um, so, anyways, okay. So, so that's great. What's your your team size? We're slightly under 100, and we are hiring. So, if any of your audience is interested in a fast growing tech startup and well funded startup at that. Um, and we have this explicit kind human policy. You can check it out on our website. We would love to hear from you. And just to help you finish the plug, what, what are you hiring for? High oh, level. Everything. <laughs> we're, we're hiring in everything. We're hiring engineering, in sales, in marketing, in solution architects or customer success, uh, everything. So okay. go, just go to our website. <laughs> Well, I might have some people I could help you uh, connect you with in terms of that. Okay. So, yeah. and then, you know, I, are you bootstrapped or funded? We are venture funded by tier one ventures. We are series B funded. Um, we have slightly over 50 million in funding. So we have a healthy four plus years of runway. Nice. Well, that's good. It sounds like you uh, struck when the iron was hot and your timing was good. Not that you'd have to worry about that, but uh, four years of runway is pretty healthy. So, so let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about your backstory, you know, and I think um, something really cool, and we talked about this in the pre-show, was like, what was your breaking bad moment that you had earlier in your career? Because I, I think that's like, that's a great story. And it, it's totally clickbaity. So if you're watching, this is clickbaity a little bit, but it's really cool. So why don't you share that real quick so people have some context? There, there were a lot of breaking bad type stories, but I know <laughs> the one you're referring to, Ryan, is, well, uh, few years ago, about a decade ago, um, one of my mentors told me about Bitcoin. You know, quite frankly, the first thought I had was online money. That just sounds ridiculous. Uh, And then you have to mine it. How do you mine something online? So anyway, I read Satoshi's paper. It was very interesting. And I decided uh, I was too cheap to go buy it. But I thought I could mine it. (laughs) 
the mining would be cheaper, could be faster, it could be funner. Let's see how to experiment that. So I started buying um, ASIC servers and started mining in the house. Did it more and more and more till my electric bill was pretty high. Um, well, then I, I set up a crypto mining rig in a small town, um, in a village actually outside of where my parents live near, near a small town in southern India. Um, and then hooked it up to the grid, got massive amounts of servers, uh, crashed the grid uh, with enormous amounts of electricity. Cops came knocking on the door because they thought I was making meth. Uh, well, to their dismay, when they go in to the warehouse, they find out that I was not making meth when, in fact, I was hosting servers. Well, I think they were disappointed because they were hoping for some excitement in a sleepy little village, but oh well. Uh, so that was, that was that's how I got started with the crypto mining rig. This was uh, back, back close to a decade ago, about nine years ago in a sleepy town in India. And uh, I will just tell you that my Indian parents were very disappointed in the type <laughs> of daughter they had raised. So uh, they still hold it against me once in a while. It's a good start out, you know, Yeah. at the family parties, it gets brought up every now and then, you know, I could see that being one of those things. So like walk us through, how did you, cause let me ask you this. Did you create the category for blockchain at AWS? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. Okay. So walk us through how that happened exactly. Cause I think that's super critical to, what you're doing today and, and how you kind of got into this world. Absolutely. So, so uh, I did M&A for a number of years, went to a startup in, on, on route to AWS and then met at the interview, uh, met my co-founder, Tim Wagner, who created the serverless movement, uh, built Lambda for AWS, uh, was a GM for the entire serverless business. So I ran the go-to-market with him. And from the very first day when we met, when I met him at the interview, we started talking about, hey, wouldn't it be cool to use this serverless, serverless technology, which is, you know, you could build application without worrying about servers, use that to build blockchain applications, because then you would have massive scale, you wouldn't have to manage anything, it's all event-based, it's very bursty, it's pay-as-you-go, makes complete sense for blockchains. Why isn't anyone doing this? And he had the same exact question. So we experimented and wrote a lot of thesis and six pagers, which is really business uh, business plans um, for Andy Jassy at, at AWS when Andy was still at, at AWS um, before he he went to Amazon.com, Amazon as a whole, and became the CEO there. And that didn't go anywhere. So I kept wanting to build something blockchain at AWS. And finally, finally, we did. We built two services, Amazon Managed Blockchain, which was Hyperledger Fabric or Ethereum on managed rails, and another very innovative, very useful service called QLDB, Quantum Ledger Database, which is a centralized ledger database. So it's a, I don't really need a multi-party. I need a single single company database, but I want it to be immutable. I don't want it to, it's append only type of database. So we built those two together. Um, both the services is, is, was my babies. I built them, I launched them, I ran that business for, for a couple of years after I left to go um, start Vendia. But when I ran that blockchain business, Ryan, 
I met 1,092 unique customers. Very specific number because, you know, AWS, you keep track of everything. So 1,092 unique customers over a two-year period. And they were all talking about this one problem they were trying to solve. I mean, it didn't matter if they were from financial services or energy or um, gaming or ad tech. Didn't matter what industry they were in. Didn't matter if they were enterprise or small startup or mid-market. But the problem they were trying to solve was they said, look, we have lots of partners, big and small. We've all invested in these data-making mechanisms because we want to be data-driven, right? We want to have more data. So they've invested in IoTs and mobiles and edges and digital transformation. So now they're making massive amounts of data. But all of this data is getting stuck in silos. Wherever the data is made, whichever partner its data is made at, it's getting stuck in silos. So these companies said, we just don't have access to a single view of data. So we can do something with it. So they said, if it was a bank, they said, credit card business has a Ryan. Uh, the home loan has a Ryan. And the high net worth individuals has a Ryan. They're all three Ryans, but we don't think it's the same Ryan. Oh, it's the same, same Ryan. But they don't have access to the single view of truth about Ryan. So technically, Ryan could go blow up his credit card and then go apply for, a, for some kind of a line of credit or the other way around. And it would still work because they just don't have access to that data. And imagine this, you know, in the airline industry or uh, some kind of an exchange traded transaction type of a situation, it's catastrophe. And that's what's going on. So if you think of all the investments they had made on the flip side, AI and ML and analytics, you're feeding this measly percentage of data that you have because you just don't have access to your partners. So we decided, hey, we're just going to have to build a plumbing across partners to get all of the data uh, made readily available, but none of the companies would offer this data up without give, giving up control. I, I don't want to give up my data to another company uh, to manage, so I need to control my own data, but only give you what I'm supposed to give you. And that's where the whole Venn diagram comes in play. I want to share with you what I want to share with you and not share with you what I don't want to share with you. Um, and that's what we've built. So uh, the the creating blockchain category for AWS, I think, was pivotal in at least from my um, angle to create Vendia and really understand the pain that customers go through, which has really helped us at this point. Oh yeah, I mean, I can imagine. I have so many follow up questions too. So that was a yeah. great explanation. I love the specificity of one thousand ninety two customers. Right, you'd be a great interview because, like, I I remember interviewing different people in the sales profession are like, yeah, I got the biggest customers and like, what's the deal? And they're like, I don't remember the exact details, but you crushed mm -hmm. it on that. So, uh, um, so anyways, like going, going back. So when you, when you were creating that category, cause I think that's super unique. And you said you did some experiments. They didn't go anywhere initially. Right. I think you said six theses. Is that what you said? You oh, okay. six pagers, but uh, oh, six thesis pagers, I'm sorry. how would we solve this problem? Oh, uh, okay. So then like, yeah. Like, and, and that's interesting. So it's like you're being an entrepreneur at Amazon, right? Which is one of the yeah. things they're amazing at. So then did you just take like a Skunk Works team and then just keep hammering away, trying to figure this out? And then finally it broke through or like kind of what was that moment you went from 
zero to one in terms of it making a real solution that everybody wanted to jump on? So uh, uh, I think that there was always, I'll answer the second part first, which is what led us to go get here was really the customers asking for something like this. In Amazon, in AWS as a whole, the culture is you work backwards from a customer. You work, you see what the customer's problem is. Is this a problem that's only applicable to this customer or is it broad? Uh, it's the same product market fit journey that we do in, in, a, in startup land, right? You just do it as an entrepreneur at, at AWS and everybody is an entrepreneur over there. Um, and then you start to analyze, is it, a, is it just for this industry or is it broad? And then you go, is it this, this segment or is this broad? Say, same with the geo, et cetera. What we found um, while doing this working backwards analysis here is um, that this was a problem that it, was, it crossed segments, it crossed geos, it crossed industries. So there was this problem. Look, we're also talking about 2017, early 2018, when Bitcoin prices had tanked the previous time, not, not this time. And there was an allergic reaction to blockchain uh, as it was a solution looking for a problem. There was a lot of religiosity about blockchain back then. There's still a lot of religiosity about blockchain right now. So uh, at AWS, the reaction mostly was blockchain. That's not, that's not something that serious people do. Once we start showing to, to the, the leadership team, including Andy, the customers have real problems. Companies that are our customers right now have this problem today, and they are trying to use pretty much spit and duct tape to solve this problem. Uh, like batch files or, you know, point-to-point APIs or very janky integrations. Uh, and that's when there was an aha moment. I would still say that the solution that I personally built there was inspirational. It was, it was uh, good instincts in terms of trying to solve the problem. The technical solution itself was not on point. It was too server-based. It just to do a POC, it took months and months and months. Um, it needed the it, it it was a more of a consortium led play. So you got it. You had to get one company and all of their partners in a room together, which the Salesforce is not comfortable selling. I mean, it's hard enough selling to one company. Selling to multiple companies is you know it's a uh, it's it's just not done. It's not even an uphill climb. It's uh, it's ridiculous. So. That, that's one of the reasons it was not very successful, but the problem still was there. Uh, so that's when we realized both Tim and I, him from, from a technical perspective of you know, running distributed ledger uh, and servers at Coinbase and realizing, wow, the tech solution, the way the distributed ledgers are set up is not going to scale. And for me, from a, wow, this pain is real. Um, and then we came together and we said, this is, this is the problem we're going to solve because no one else is solving it. How 
Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter. Check out other free content resources I have there. And let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. It makes sense now that you're saying it's like you basically you kept, which is cool because you're on the front line. You kept hearing, hearing the repeated problems. There was no solution for it. And then the more it sounds like the more you dug in, the broader it was, wasn't yeah. vertical specific. It wasn't use case specific, like size wise. There were so many application points to it that it made it kind of a no brainer. And then at what point were you like, OK, we need to do our own thing because this isn't going to fit in the, the Amazon world and in you know, like there's really something here. You know, the aha moment was you can, you know, there's an Indian saying you can choose your husband, but you can't choose your mother-in-law. So that's <laughs> I like that. Good, right? I've never heard that in India. Yeah, I didn't know that was an Indian saying, but I'll, I'll roll with it. I'll reuse that one, right? <laughs> this, this is what my family told me growing up. So, uh, well, the mother-in-laws turned out great for me. So, you know, it's plus one for me, I guess. But, the what our realization here was you can choose your customers and prospects or who you do business with or you can narrow down with we'll only work with folks who are on AWS sure you can you can do that a lot of companies have successfully led their go to market so you can also dictate which of their partners you can support but you cannot choose their partners cloud mm. so okay. you okay. cannot go to your prospect and say it's great you're on AWS. It's great that you want to work with XYZ partner. That's great. But we're only going to work with them if they're on AWS. You got to tell them to move to AWS from Azure. That's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we realized very quickly that this solution had to meet, had to meet the customers where they were from a technology stack perspective. And sometimes, which means that internally within a company, there are multiple clouds. Look, I don't think a CIO wakes up and says, I'm going to go multi-cloud today because I don't want vendor lock-in. But what happens is, you know, that team over there really likes Azure for whatever reason. And this team over there that we acquired is GCP. And that Bob's team over there, for some reason, is on-prem. He won't move off it. There, multi-cloud. It's accidental multi-cloud. What are you doing about that? Now you have data in three different places. You might as well be three companies. Yeah. Right, totally you, you get you need expensive engineers and database architects and all of these people within the company just to get data to one place. It becomes a Herculean task, and you know the shortage that we have for good quality tech talent, it's just not done. So we need to bridge that gap somehow. Our aha moment was: look, Andy's never going to make it easy for Microsoft to get data from AWS. Right. And same thing the other, other way, right? So we have to be, we really love what Snowflake has done. It doesn't matter what cloud you're in, it just works. You abstract out the cloud. So we said, whatever solution we build has to be cloud agnostic. Salesforce is also a cloud because, you know, we have airlines that have Salesforce and their partners have MS Dynamics. Now, can you tell them, hey, sorry, only it's going to work with Salesforce, not MS Dynamics. The market's about, what, 60-40 for the two of them at this point, right? So 
you just have to work with companies where they are rather than having them move off and use something novel. And that's what traditional, the first generation blockchains tried. They all had to abandon their IT architect, infrastructure and come use this new magical thing called Solidity. It just doesn't work that way. So that I love that. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I think that's great. I mean, that's brilliant because we, we had to go to market similar and where we were one of the only vendors that was like vendor agnostic, right? And so it made it so much easier because it didn't require like a three month implementation. It was like a week or two, right? So it just changes the whole entire dynamic, which sounds like you're doing the same thing with uh, multi-cloud kind of sprawl, if you will, with different companies. Right. So so how, like, let me ask you this, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this. So what's the, the single best thing that you did to take you from zero to a million with a new category? Storytelling. Really storytelling. As you have already heard, I would have used three words if I could use three words. There is no category for this. Gartner, we have, we are, we're working with the Gartners of the world, but there is no one set category. So it's hard to imagine a new thing in a very abstract way. Like I can't come into you and say, you know what? This is a slightly faster, cheaper, better, cuter database. It doesn't ring a bell. It's, it's a lot more than that. So instead of using these abstract categories, we tell them why we built this, what kind of problems we saw and what prompted us to give up our good jobs at you know, AWS, Coinbase and build this. And you know, our early customers got it. You know, Airline Reporting Corporation, one of our BMW, um, uh, Nestle, all of these folks heard the story and go, you know what? We have these five places that we could use you for. And then we kind of narrowed them down to one because we were a small team when we started. And then we started learning where the quick lands were um, and then started creating more playbooks around it. And that's really how I sold my first first million dollars. I had never sold before. I had never carried a bag before. So I didn't really know any of this medic and, you know, Bansi and uh, Spiced, all of these things. Until I had gotten halfway there and went, wait, I need to read a book or two. Uh, it helped <laughs> quite a bit, but uh, uh, it's it's been an interesting ride, nonetheless. It's the storytelling is the number one way we connect with pain. Yeah, well, and I think you described it good. So, just as a quick recap, you had the storytelling, the why, the problems that you solve, <laughs> and then go after the quick lands, and then create playbooks and make it repeatable about it. So. Nice little framework that you, you mixed up right there and yeah. five steps only. So would you say that that would you say that that's like your ninja skill, like in terms of like growing a company or what would you say is like your ninja skill or your, your number one best strength for growing a company? Storytelling is definitely I, I would like to think that uh, I tell compelling stories. Uh, sometimes not, but sometimes, yes. I mean, you make a lot of mistakes and learn on your way there. But I would say for anyone trying to build anything new, building itself is one. And then talking about why and how and where and when or just just painting that build along with stories is it's such a powerful thing to do. It's almost more important than what it is that you're building. You could build anything. You could build a taco truck. The stories you tell is what sells the tacos. <laughs> taco trucks. 
I don't know why that made me laugh. So anyways, <laughs> um, moving on, uh, what would you say? So right now where you're at, just kind of in the stage, you're, you're at that Series B stage. What's your single biggest challenge to growing right now? Uh, storytelling for the industries. Uh, look, uh, I'll give you a use case that's pretty universal, but the storytelling is so different for each of the industries. And the way we storytell makes all the difference. Um, this is for, we have BMW, we have a couple of other um, automotive com- companies that are our customers. One of the most attractive thing to them, we, as I said, we, they had a bunch of use cases, but one, one land that we've uh, seen that um, is, is immediate for them is, look, any car, you know, think of your average gas car is about 30 to 35,000 parts. Electric is slightly fewer than that. And they have on an average per car, they have few hundreds, you know, high hundreds, 800, 900 different uh, partners they work with, um, car companies work with to us make that car part. It's being fed by 800 different partners. Um, these are first year partners, of course, smaller set of first year partners, second year, you know, sub vendors, third tier partners. Obviously, the first year when it's not in first year vendors best interest to reveal to the car brand who their second and the third tier is, how much money is being paid, etc. But they all have very valuable data. So now what happens is when a new car rolls off the, the dealer lot and let's say, Ryan, you go buy it uh, at three years later, the you start experiencing some trouble, you go in after n number of folks start experiencing that trouble, the car company realizes, wait, there's something wrong with this. It's pretty widespread. We need to do a recall. So for a new car, especially, or new make and model, the recall is guaranteed. Uh, Auto companies set aside a defined percentage of their revenue to manage recalls and warranties. Uh, the reason this percentage is significant is because they don't know which car contains which part from which first year, second year, third year vendor. So what these car companies are doing is making a vehicle DNA. So vehicle DNA is in the U.S. It's notated by the VIN number. That VIN number has essentially its horoscope of uh, where did this part come from, which first year vendor the second tier vendor's name, their, their IP details are obfuscated, but then it gives you a digital thread from where it came from. So now if the defect is uh, located by a partner or by the brand themselves, they know exactly, let's just say ECU, electronic control unit, had some problem. They know the what electronic control units went into which VIN numbers that belo- that was manufactured at tier one supplier, tier three under them in certain facility in some, let's say, Asia somewhere. So now they can pinpoint to, let's say, 5,000 cars that and bin numbers that it went into as opposed to recalling, let's say, 75,000 cars. So your cost enveloping is, you know, your blast radius is extremely small and you can pinpoint it and you can do it even in a predictive way. You can do it uh, ahead of time. You can already replenish those dealers well that's closest to you know where let's say ryan bought where ryan lives three miles from him there's a dealer 
um, and then have that retrofitted rather than, you know, just do a mass recall and take a brand uh, disadvantage there. There are so many different use cases you can do when such a thing happens. You could do driver prediction, wear and tear prediction, a lot of things, a lot of data that you didn't have before. So that's a really nice, easy land that's that's kind of come to us. So these are some of the things that are possible when, when you're able to go into a customer and then um, have them understand this. But look, this vehicle DNA or a product DNA means different things in different industries, has a different connotation. It's not recall and warranty in semiconductor industry. It's zero defect. You know, for right. semiconductors, yeah. their biggest consumers are healthcare, uh, automotive, um, and data centers. So for them, chips need to work in extreme conditions. I mean, can you imagine you're getting, you know, kidney stones removed and then the chip is kind of defective? That would be disastrous. Or you're driving your Tesla and the chip that came from a particular fabless was not zero defect. I mean, I've had my Tesla kind of blank off in the middle of a road once. It's pretty horrifying. Nothing happened, thank God. But you know that that could happen. So identifying where the defect is coming from and doing something proactively about it is very important. Now, without the understanding uh, uh, the customer's pain and without being empathetic, if you try to push a platform in that, uh, when we are no, as well known as some of the big names you know, out there, that becomes very easy. Customers just do the connecting the dots themselves. At this point, we need to connect the dots for them. And that's the next challenge for us of how do we quickly connect dots in different industries for the same for the same go to market sale. That was a little yeah. bit of a answer, but I think I think that has <laughs> to be a context. No, it was it was great context, and it, like it just makes me think. And and I know we talked about it briefly, but like before the episode, but about how that leads to partners wanting to work with you as well. Correct, right? Because right? they they see the benefit from like a supplier or a customer and they're like, Hey, we want some of that. So have you seen a big, a big second order revenue from that? Yeah. Yeah. This was one of our campaign promise when we did, uh, when we did our seed, seed raise back in 2020 that we talked about network effects, you know, we realized that that's a normal thing for most of the founders to talk about of how their uh, business is network effects. And, uh, when when the investors looked at us and go, everybody says that. We said, but but really believe us. We really mean it. We do have network effects, and this is how. Uh, I think uh, I think the the investors who who wrote us checks early believe that, and then we're very happy to to have them along the way. But look, the way it works is a car company needs to get data from their you know, 800 partners, usually they don't need all 800. They, you know, there's 80, 20 rules apply. So uh, 80%, 90% of the data is by top few, few of their partners. So how do they do that? Is they say, hey, listen, partner X, if you start using this uh, as well, you will get more data in terms of how much are we consuming? Your forecasting is going to be helpful. Um, you will get to see how quickly we're ordering or not ordering, or um, you'll get paid faster. So there are a lot of benefits that comes with, you know, data sharing both ways. And the point is they're already sharing the data. They're just doing it in a very uh, manual, difficult way. Uh, the, the, the pitch here almost always is 
you get a lot of efficiency, you get to see the forecasting, you can plan better. And by the way, you will need far fewer resources. It's all SaaS model. Um, so we do the first few months set up where the partner uses it and gets comfortable with it. And then it's, it's, then we contract with the partner. Um, it's always a single company land. And then for them to be, for this to be useful outside of the company, the multi-party data sharing, there is a multi-party aspect of it, which turns into a contract. It's always, it, uh, it's, there's always a delay in a, about a quarter to quarter and a half, but, um, mm-hmm see that when we do um, you know six seven figure land uh, there is a six seven figure expand outside of the company in addition to the inside that comes in by the virtue of the fact that we have a multi-party deal that's awesome so six to seven figure land and then another six to seven figure expand within 90 days plus of of when that initial deal is done is that about accurate yeah, a quarter to two at most. Okay. Uh, we, we're trying to get it to quarter, but in a quarter or two is... Look, look, procurement is a thing, right? <laughs> procurement processes are a thing. I mean, we're talking about very high mid-markets, low enterprises where they have departments for this. Um, yep. um, yeah, uh, my day consisted of two MSAs today, so it was... Uh, <laughs> you and most of your listeners know how that goes but yeah so i'm not i'm not saying it's a bad thing i mean even if it takes two quarters to double the size of a six or seven figure deal in like 180 days is still really damn good so yeah, anyway that's, that's amazing so that's 100 percent growth and like you know most people are happy with 100 percent expand in 12 to 18 months and you got it down to six or i should say six months and you're maybe even working on nailing it down to three months so um i think that's awesome and Amazing, amazing. I could talk to you about this for another half hour, but I want to be sensitive of your time. So um, we're just about up on time, though. So let me ask you one following question, and then we'll, we'll tell people where they could find you. So in light that you've been at the cutting edge of, or bleeding edge, whatever you want to say, of creating a category and then working on what you are now at Vendia, like, I guess, like, where do you see the future of tech going over the next three to five years? Oh, wow. Yeah, this is a, this is a wonderful question. I mean, if you look at, a um, couple of decades ago, early 2000s, right? Um, and I'll tell you what we believe in. Um, early 2000s was all about, you got to be data-driven company. Data, data is the most important. Just get more data and everything will be solved, right? I mean, big data, 2000, mid-2000s. Um, so what did people do is they said, I got to get more data. How do I get more data? I want more. I want two of those, super size me. Uh, they got digital transformation and mobile was becoming huge. I mean, you know, think of when Mongo happened and MuleSoft happened, mobile became huge in the 2000s. So mobile workloads, digital transformation, and then came IoT and Edge, they blew up. So they, people were making a lot of data. I think 2010s, the teenage years were about, I made a lot of data, now I got to crunch the data. I've got to be, data is a new oil, that, that era. Uh, I've got to crunch it, make intelligent decisions. So I'm going to invest in all kinds of intelligence machines, AI, ML, you know, analytics. So how do you do that, though? Like, uh, God, how, how do I get it all in one place? So to get it on in one place, we started with warehouses, then data lakes, data puddles, you know, data lake houses. It's 
one is more fancy than the other. Essentially, you needed to put it in a big bucket. So your AI and ML ran on it. So that's the that's the era of I want to be data driven. Um, I think the next step is, geez, that's great. But I am only analyzing the data that I have. And then how am I going to take the insights and affect the edge? Um, you will see the next step is how do I data get the data from my partners? This is where we we play and then give it back to the partners. And then the next step is um, how do I affect the edge in real time? Uh, those are the two places where I want more data. I'm going to analyze the heck out, out of it and make it data driven. Now I'm going to take data from everywhere, analyze it and affect the edge and make changes in real time. So it's the fully autonomous, or at least the beginning of the fully autonomous world. So my hope is we get to, you know, the fifth element stage where, you know, Bruce Willis is driving his car with Mila Yavich in, in, in midair and uh, his license has expired because you had too many infractions. That's what I'm hoping for before, before the end of my time. But uh, I think any step in that direction is... Uh, I guess that's the last part is wishful thinking, but you know, I'll take with autonomous replenishment and inventory management and dynamic pricing and things like that. Well, you uh, that was an amazing answer, A, and B, you're the first guest ever to mention the fifth element on this show. So so props <laughs> to you. That's a great movie. I forgot about it. I haven't seen it in forever. But um, so where can people find you? Where can people find out more about Vendia? And then we'll wrap things up. Vendia.com is the website. It's V-E-N-D-I-A. It's short for Venn Diagram. So that's where you can find us. And definitely Google for kind humans policy. And we really, we really seriously abide by that. So we would, and we would love to have you apply for any of our open roles. Also, if you want to connect with me socially, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, just find me at Shruti Rao. And uh, um, I'm, I'm I'm pretty much um, open to connect with whoever. Yeah. Well, Shruti, it was awesome having you on the show. I love hearing your perspectives. And we will see you all on the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.